In this episode of the Dandy Funhouse, we're gonna rock! Bedrock, actually, because it's all about the Flintstones. How one of the most loved animated series in television was born, interesting history, fun facts, star-studded guest appearances, near-death experiences, merchandising fever, reasons to fear the Flintstone kids, jumping the shark, and to top it all off, I'm going to conduct a head-to-head -head taste test of the Flintstone cereals, Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles. Are you ready to bedrock? Let's step into the funhouse. <laughs> Where am I? You just entered the Dandy Funhouse. Hey there, how you yabba-dabba doing? Welcome to the Dandy Funhouse, the home of your favorite frivolities. I'm your host, Neil Dandy, and this is episode 20, which makes it a milestone. And today, I'm going to take you down to the town of Bedrock, and we're going to learn a little bit more about your favorite cartoon prehistoric family, the Flintstones. The Flintstones ran on ABC television from 1960 to 1966 and holds the distinction of being the first animated series in history to run in primetime, and also the first to ever be nominated for a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series in 1961. They lost to Jack Benny. It also held the record for being the longest-running animated series until 97, when that was broken by The Simpsons. Produced by Hanna-Barbera, it's, of course, all about the adventures of the prehistoric middle-class family of Fred and Wilma Flintstone and their neighbors, Barney and Betty Rubble. Back in the early 1960s, Hanna-Barbera were largely known as producers of kids' cartoons, but they had a desire to expand to adults. They had a lot of ideas for the setting of the show, including ancient Rome, Indians, and even hillbillies before eventually setting on the Stone Age. The original working title for the show was The Flagstones, and Hanna-Barbera pitched storyboards relentlessly for two months straight to networks and sponsors, sometimes repeating their 90-minute presentations for the exact same companies over and over again because this executive or that sponsor wasn't at the first or second one. You know, that's showbiz, folks. Now, there are a lot of supposed interested parties, but no one actually pulling the trigger on buying the show until on the final day of the solid eight weeks of presentations, they pitched to a young daring network called ABC who bought the show in the first 15 minutes. If that hadn't happened, Hannah and Barbara were simply going to place the storyboards into the archives and move on to something else. And this is how close the Flintstones came to never being made. The show was largely believed to be inspired by film and TV legend Jackie Gleason's character, Ralph Cramden, from his show The Honeymooners, whose similarities to Fred Flintstone are hard to deny. Hanna-Barbera even used a couple of Gleason's writers in the production of the show. Now, Jackie Gleason was reportedly at one time considering a lawsuit over the Flintstones before being talked out of it by his lawyers who asked him if he really wanted to be known as the guy who killed Fred Flintstone. The original voice cast was comprised of Alan Reed as Fred Flintstone, Gene Vanderpile as Wilma Flintstone, 
Bea Benadurey as Betty Rubble and Warner Brothers legend Mel Blanc as Barney Rubble, except for a short period in the second season when Mel had a near-fatal accident. Dawes Butler filled in for five episodes before a temporary recording studio was set up for the entire cast at Mel Blanc's bedside for the remainder of that season. And over the years, the Flintstones hosted an absolute star-studded cast of guest voices like Tony Curtis and Margaret, Elizabeth Montgomery and Dick York from Bewitched, and many, many more. Now, many of the early episodes were sponsored by Winston Cigarettes, and as was the custom of the time, Fred, Wilma, Betty, and Barney would appear in their advertisements smoking like prehistoric chimneys for the first two seasons, until the introduction of Pebbles and Bam Bam. The Flintstone and Rubble families, see, they didn't originally have children until the third season when it was decided that Wilma should become pregnant. The show's producers originally were considering that they should have a boy. In fact, the original concepts of the show included a character called Fred Jr., who was obviously Fred and Wilma's son, but in the interest of merchandising, market research, and all that showed that girls' dolls way outsell boys' dolls, and merchandising dollars were calling, and so Pebbles Flintstone was born. Toys were produced, Winston's cigarettes exited, and Welch's grape juice moved in and became the new head sponsor, while the Flintstones altered course onto a more family-oriented path. Welch's also dove into the merchandising and started putting their jellies into jars that had the characters of the show on them that could be reused as drinking glasses. Absolutely genius. Oh, but the merchandising didn't stop there. Toys, games, cereals like Cocoa and Fruity Pebbles, which I'm going to do a head-to-head -head taste test out here in uh, just a minute, and of course Flintstone's chewable vitamins, which once prompted the FBI to pay a visit to the manufacturing plant See, there were concerns about the Flintstone kids because they were a million strong and growing. And speaking of anthems, the Flintstones theme song we all know and love, and which you've probably been humming throughout this entire show, didn't actually make its debut until the show's third season. Previously, the theme song was a number called Rise and Shine, but it too closely resembled the theme song for the Bugs Bunny show. So it was replaced with a new song called Meet the Flintstones, which featured a 22-piece big band and was sung by the Randy Van Horn singers. Now, for you classical music buffs out there, you might find the tune familiar as it was believed to have been derived from the B section of Beethoven's Piano Sonata No. 17, Movement 2. And since classical music from hundreds of years ago, it's not subject to copyright. We can actually play a little of that for you right now. Let's see if we can recognize the tune. Okay, I'm going to have to call malarkey on that one. I mean, yeah, it's got half a similar chord progression, but that's pretty much it. 
I think it's a lot more likely that the Flintstones theme was written and somebody listening to a little uh, chamber music noticed that uh, there's a little riff in there that had some similarity and decided to spread bullpucky all over the internet. It's actually much more likely that Beethoven lifted that from the Flintstones because the Flintstones were from the Stone Age and Beethoven didn't come along until the 1800s. I'm sure Beethoven would have justified stealing the Flintstones theme because at the time he was just starting out and he was baroque and starving. No? Okay. The previous song, Rise and Shine, was later edited out of the first two seasons and replaced with Meet the Flintstones before the show entered syndication. Another little-known fact is that many of the underscores, you know, the music that plays in the background during the course of the show, were actually reused musical segments from episodes of The Jetsons, Top Cat and Johnny Quest. This was just one of the ways budgets were managed. Another way cartoons saved money, since they were hand-drawn and shot just one frame at a time back in that time, was to only move the portions of the character's body and scenes that absolutely had to move while the rest of the character in the set remained completely motionless. And then we come to Jumping the Shark. Now, somewhere towards the later part of the series, a character named the Great Gazoo, voiced by comic legend Harvey Korman, was introduced. The Great Gazoo was a Martian with super magic powers that only Fred and Barney could see and interact with. This character removed all limitations from places the characters could go and things they could do, and in my opinion, was the beginning of the end for the Flintstones, as the show's creativity declined at that point and scripts got lazy. The Flintstones ultimately succumbed to extinction in 1966 when production finally concluded. But the show continued to run in syndication for decades, delighting new fans through the generations. In more recent years, the Flintstones actually disappeared from television for a while until one of my favorite stations, MeTV, who are best known for airing classic television as well as their own productions, like Svengoolie, the monster movie host, and morning cartoon show Tune In With Me, featuring Dave the Cartoon Curator and Toonie the Tuna. They stepped in and started airing the Flintstones once again. Way to go, MeTV. And of course... There are the movies from the mid-90s that geniusly cast John Goodman as Fred and Elizabeth Perkins as Wilma, but really screwed up in the casting of the Rubbles. I mean, Rick Moranis and Rosie O'Donnell as Barney and Betty? I mean, really? First off, Barney was always a chunky little guy with a voice like Ed Norton from The Honeymooners, which Rick Moranis, as much as I like him, he just isn't. And Rosie O'Donnell as Betty? I, I mean, what do you even say about that except... What were they thinking? Now, there's supposedly a new Flintstones movie currently in development, with the script being produced by Will Ferrell. Now, whether it ever sees the light of day or not remains to be seen, as it's been in development for several years now. There's also a Flintstones TV series reboot under development, with Elizabeth Banks called Bedrock. Banks plays a 20-something Pebbles Flintstone with her father Fred approaching retirement. The Stone Age is coming to an end, and the Bronze Age is on the horizon, and Pebbles is just a girl in a great big world trying to find her way in life. All right, we ready to do this thing? Let's do it. The part of the show you've been waiting for, the Flintstones 
Cereal Taste Test Challenge. I have here in my sweaty little hands a box of Fruity Pebbles and also a box of Cocoa Pebbles. I'm going to break both of them open and do a little head-to-head -head taste test and tell you my thoughts. Now, I haven't tried either of these since I was a kid, and honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about them uh, because they weren't staples in my home. Let's do it. All right, I have here a box of Fruity Pebbles, and I'm going to dig in here. I'll show you the back as well while I'm at it. See, the back, I'm going to dig in here. I'm gonna... I have already opened them. Otherwise, you'd have to sit here and listen to me tear open. There's, there's the Fruity Pebbles. They're uh, multicolored and uh, very brightly multicolored with all the proper chemical enhancements a young growing body needs. Let's try it. <laughs> That's good stuff. Mmm. I like that a lot. There's a lot of flavors going on there. All right. Let's try the Cocoa Pebbles. And Barney. And the rest of them all here on the back having a good old time. I'm not going to read the ingredients, but I will take a handful and take a mouthful and let you know what I, what I think. Okay, so here's the Cocoa Pebbles. They're uh, down with the brown, as you can see, and now they're down the hatch. I like, I like that a lot. Um, go good with a cup of coffee, I'll tell you that. But um, between the two, my choice would be, yeah, I'll go with the Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles, I like these a whole lot more. I could actually sit on the, sit on the couch and, and uh, sit there and uh, snack on these pretty much all day long, which is, Probably a real good reason why I shouldn't keep them in the house. And I gotta tell you, doing this gives me a new respect for show hosts that have to taste things on the air and then talk about it with food in their mouths. I mean, that's a skill I need to practice more and practice I shall while I enjoy the rest of these fruity pebbles. <laughs> I'll eat the cocoa eventually. And speaking of pebbles, if you'd like to throw a few pebbles my way and support production of future episodes of the Dandy Funhouse, you may simply visit our patronage page at dandyfunhouse.com. Supporters gain access to exclusive bonus material, and super supporters will gain access to that same bonus material. Plus, I'll mail you something from right here at the Dandy Funhouse Studios if you provide me with your mailing address. Very important. Okay, that's going to yabba-dabba-do it for now. Slide down your dinosaur and come back soon to the Dandy Funhouse where everything is always fun and dandy. <laughs> winner, winner. I know you. Down, Dino, down. <laughs> <laughs>